Family likeness. I hope you're picking up where we're going with this, uh, where I've been headed with this. Uh, some of you probably who uh, know me well enough and have been in the project long enough know that I'm up to something. You're just going to, there's this sense that Pete's actually building something and it's going to go somewhere. There's a bit of an argument that I'm trying to build to actually show something. And we're not quite there yet. So the big reveal, as they say, uh, hasn't actually happened yet. But let me just lay out for you the uh, argument as it stands so far, right? So there has been a clear direction. It hasn't just been random things that I've come up with, there's been a clear direction to uh, where we've been going. If you go back, um, there's been three messages in this series so far. If you go back to uh, the first one, the first one was looking at discipleship. And uh, Jesus has pretty, pretty harsh and heavy words about how you become a disciple. Um, and, and basically the bottom line is you just got to die to yourself. You've got to put yourself to death Everything that you want, everything you want to do, all your allegiance to yourself or other things around the place takes a, a big time kind of uh, second kind of back seat to uh, your allegiance to Jesus, all right? Uh, and, and we just kind of looked at the fact that in the beginning, um, it, was, it was all meant to be life, right? But because humanity turned away from God, we ended up in a place where death kind of happens around the place and the way to actually stop the death happen, happening and get back to life is by dying to yourself and dying to your own desires, death to the default way that you see things. When you do that, and folks, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you want life, you have to die. <laughs> it's just how it works. And you actually see it all over the place. When people die to themselves, when they die to their, their way of doing things, what actually happens is life and light breaks in. Who knows that's true? It just does, right? It's a great, it's a great irony. The second week, I looked at the fact that uh, death to self hits the reset button and restores us to God's family and restores the family likeness. Uh, death to self is really an embracing of God rather than embracing of death. It's uh, us turning back to God, it's imaging Him. We looked at the extreme measures that God will go to to make sure that you stop relying upon yourself and you stop trying to save yourself. Death to self is actually re-entry into a family. It's the end of estrangement so now you're in the family what do you do well you're a child so it's obvious you grow up <laughs> that's what you do you grow up so last week we looked at at what's normal and that is growing up growing up is normal and we looked at the fact that there's two kind of key areas where i think we need to grow up as humans one of them is growing up in created likeness so we're made to be like god uh, before sin even comes into the world, and we need to grow up. We need to develop skills, we need to develop abilities, develop knowledge, develop who God has made us to be. It's not a moral sin category, and we're not talking about that. It's just like grow up. And I actually think that you're going to grow up forever. <laughs> you'll keep getting wiser, and you'll keep getting more mature. And imagine you in 2,000 years. I mean, it'll be amazing, right? And that's not, I'm not even talking about sin or morality at this point in time. All I'm talking about is you're just going to grow in wisdom. You're just going to get, you're going to be more fully who God made you to be. And who God made you to be comes out of his character. The other thing we looked at last week is um, we need to uh, grow in redeemed likeness. You know, we looked at the fact that when you turn away from God, it makes you an idiot. Anyone give me an amen for that? Makes you an idiot. That's what it does. Makes you stupid. Right? And we looked at stuff uh, from Isaiah 44 about the idol maker and he makes this idol and he bows down and worships it and says, you're my God. And he doesn't even know he's got a lie in his right hand. He's an idiot because he's worshipped this thing. Sin makes you stupid. There's a good t-shirt, right? Sin makes you stupid. Um, you see people who are, are addicted to stuff and it's like they just get deceived and they get stuck. So there's an, there's an area of our lives that actually needs to be restored. There's an area of our lives where we need to grow up because sin has kind of made us silly and made us children in a way that we ought not to be children. Um, we all have been stupefied by sin uh, and we need to grow up. And uh, we, that, that's another area that we looked at last week. Now, this leads us very naturally to the next question. So how do you grow up? 
Now, there are a thousand answers to this question and uh, not enough days in my lifetime probably to, uh, to look at all the ways uh, that we can grow up. If growing in created likeness and redeemed likeness is normal, how do you do it? It's a good question. Now, no one's arguing that sin makes people stupid. That's what I just talked about before. And one of the things we looked at last week is the fact that people um, do things that make them immature and that make them, make, makes them childish. And that's one way that growth can actually be stunted. There's another way that growth can be stunted. And it's not specifically about sin. Another way that can make, you, that can make growth stunted is uh, you can just simply not put yourself in a place where you grow. True? You can just not want to go there. And I want to give you uh, five different ways that I think people can put themselves in positions where they don't necessarily grow. Here's the first one. They're lazy and they prefer comfort. Just don't want to do any work. Don't want to grow because it takes work and it's hard. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the cost of not growing is far greater than the cost of growing. It's just that you don't see it. You don't see the cost of not growing on the front end, but you see them on the back end. You know, stay immature. Who knows this? Stay immature and you and the people around you will pay dearly. True? They just will. They won't get the blessing of you growing up just getting better at the stuff that you're doing and, and being changed in the ways that you need to be changed. They're just not going to see that blessing. You know, in a purely rational way, I, I talked about this in the first week, it's a dumb thing. Like if you're here this morning and you, um, and you don't love Jesus and you haven't died to yourself, like it's a dumb plan to not do that. Why? Because you're going to lose everything ever, anyway. Why wouldn't you give your life to Jesus and get it back in spades. Who knows that's true? You do, right? But the weird thing is that sometimes you just go, no, I'm just going I'm just, I'm just to settle in here. I'm not going not gonna to die to myself. I'm not going to give my life completely over to Jesus. I'm going to prefer that. It's just easier. But I want to say to you, in the long run, you pay more for it. Being immature and not growing up is far more costly personally and to others around you than growing up. It's just that when you grow up, you pay on the front end. All right, that's normally how it works. If you don't grow up, you tend to pay on the back end. Here's the second one. You might not think you need to. Grow up. <laughs> Has anyone worked with anyone like this before that doesn't think they need to grow up? Anyone? And you just go, you need to grow up. What's the, what's the problem? The problem is they just don't see it. And who knows? Maybe we should have a confession session, but this is kind of AA, right? I mean, that's, that's what church is. It's a, it's a version of AA, right? We all get here and we've got a mess and we can't pull stuff together and we just admit it. Well, that's the plan. I mean, you, I'm sure that you can look back in your life and you can see seasons in your life where you're just doing some dumb crap and you just didn't even notice it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You just are. You look back and you just go, what the heck was I thinking back then? And you probably weren't thinking. <laughs> all right? You just thought you had it all squared away. This is another reason why people don't grow is because they just think, yeah, I'm all good. I'm all sweet. You think that you're actually more mature than what you are. And you think that you've grown maybe in a particular area of your life and you haven't. That can stop you, uh, stop you growing. Here's another one. You can get isolated. You know, whatever it is that you're sending your life on is a thing that you worship and whatever you worship is a thing that you serve and whatever you serve is a thing that you end up becoming enslaved to. That's just how it works. It works like that every single time. And uh, people can get enslaved to stuff. They can worship stuff and center their lives on stuff and they can end up in a place where they're isolated, they've been separated from the herd and they're just out there for the picking. That can stop you growing. Uh, it could be you today. You could be going, well, I'm just in a place. I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I'd do about it if I was going to do something. I'm just stuck. 
which is all the more reason why God's family needs to be involved, right? Someone needs to go and get them. (laughs) And people are isolated and they're not growing. What do they need? They need people to go and get them and say, stop being a doofus, man. We love you and you seem to come back and be with us. You need to grow and you need to develop. You need to change. You need to grow up. You need to mature. Come and join us again. You know, one of the lines that I used to use with students at the school here, and it was specifically in reference to when they'd finish in grade 12, and they weren't sure what they were going to do after grade 12, was this. You can't steer a stationary boat. So if you're someone who's isolated and you're stuck, all right, I would just go, just do something, like anything. Like it's certain kind of death in a sense if you just get isolated and you get stuck and you do nothing. I used to say to students at school, just get out there and do something. And I was always kind of anti-gap year. I think gap year is just the biggest, I mean, it's a good idea for a TV show maybe. But it's not a good idea almost at any other level. It always weirds me out when year 12 say, I need to have a year off. It's like, if you go to uni, you like have four months off. Like, how much more do you want? It's almost half a year. So I don't have a gap year, right? Because what happens is people slow down and they stop and they get stuck. And I've seen it so many times. Just do something. And I would say to you this morning, if, if you know someone who's isolated and stuck, go and get them and help them. And if you're the person who's isolated and stuck, just do something, <laughs> like anything, as small as it could possibly be. If, it, if it's like, I can't do something big. It's like, I'm not asking you to do something big. Just do one small thing that's different and just get cracking, doing some stuff. What about this one? People cannot grow because they get disappointed by failure. Come on, put your hand up if this has ever been you. It's like, I'm done. I failed so many times. Come on, be honest. Come on, you bunch of liars out there. Really. We all know about this one, right? You try over and over and over and harder and harder and you just can't get it right. And you give up. Maybe that's you this morning. You just go, well... I, uh, I'm not going to grow. I'm not really that interested in growing because you know what? I've tried so many times, it doesn't work, and I'm done. Can I tell you something about giving up and not trying because you failed in the, in the past? That is sure and certain failure. Isn't it? That's what it is. It's like now there's not even any doubt about it. Like if you give up, it's like you're absolutely certain. It's like lock it in, Eddie you're going to fail because you're not doing anything. I don't, I'm not having, I don't mean to be giving you a hard time. It's just if you do nothing, you fail. And I want, to, I want to say to you this morning, failure is actually part of growing. You have to fail to grow. You hear me? Like it, this is not some weird perfectionist trap, Right? where if I don't nail it the first time, then I've blown it. My chance is gone. That's, that's not what we're talking about with human growth and growing up. It's like, have a crack. <laughs> have a crack. I mean, one of, the, one of the kind of one-liners that I've used, and mostly this is about my own life, it's like, don't die wondering. Have a crack at it. What's the worst that could happen? It could just tank, you know? I mean, God called us to start this church, right? But... What's the worst that could happen? Well, we actually said, look, we'll give it a crack for two years and if there's anyone left standing in two years' time, we'll we'll keep going. That was kind of what we said, right? What's the worst that could happen? Well, you try something and it tanks and it doesn't work and you learn a whole bunch. (laughs) True? John, uh, John Maxwell has got a book and you should read it. If you struggle with failure, you should read this book of John Maxwell. It's called Failing Forward. He's a leadership guru, he's a Christian leadership guru Um, and he says this, one of the things he says is this, only you can label something as a failure, all right? And he quotes this lady, Lisa Amos, who who cites some research that entrepreneurs average 3.8 failures in business before they succeed, 3.8 failures, almost four complete failures in business before they actually hit something that actually works. So what are they doing the rest of the times? Well, they're just learning lots of stuff, right? Is it, are you with me? Like they're learning lots of stuff. 
Because I don't, this, this is the classic entrepreneurial thing, right? And I've had business people come up and tell me this. You just can't see, like if you're going to go forward and you're going to learn stuff and you're going to grow and you're going to do something, you, you, you've got to be careful basically what you label a failure. I mean, your failures just become this incredibly rich soil for growing and for learning stuff. I trust there's a couple of businessmen here who just go, yeah, no, it's true, Peter. You see, this is what Maxwell says, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. True? And I would just encourage you, when you, when you fail, just be careful how you grade yourself when something fails. <laughs> you, you can like look at a failure and just kind of go, all right, so I just got to learn a whole bunch of stuff. I just got to learn a whole bunch of stuff. Or you can just kind of go, well, that was a failure and I'm a write-off and I can't do anything. Let's, let's go the first one, right? Let's go the first one. Here's the last um, reason I just want to throw out to you about why people don't grow. Uh, they have a small vision. Now, one of the realities about humanity is that people have pain come into their lives. Does anyone know that? Like you have pain come into your life, either you've got physical pain, or specifically what I'm actually talking about is the pain that comes into your life because you're a doofus and because you don't get things right. Okay? And you, you kind of... Everyone's kind of a mini wrecking ball every now and then uh, in their family or uh, with their friends just because of the, uh, the sin nature that we've actually got still left in us that God's mopping up. And you know what happens when we experience pain? One of the things that I think actually happens is people get to work changing and they're like, they're all passionate about it and they're kind of into it. And one of the things I've noticed so many times with uh, humans, sounds like I'm speaking as I'm not a human, but one of the things I've noticed about humans is they often stop when the pain gets below a particular threshold. Like there's lots and lots of change that kind of goes on and then the pain kind of gets below a particular threshold and they just, the energy's not there anymore. It's kind of like the Old Testament thing where the Israelites go into the land and they're meant to drive out all of the Canaanites and all the nations that were in there and they just get to a point where they just kind of settle a bit and it's like, yeah, I can probably live with it. It's a bit irritating, but I can probably live with it. And, and I think that's one of the things that happens for us sometimes is we just get satisfied with some kind of level of dysfunction. It's like, yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff that's kind of happening and things are operating well, but underneath there's a little bit of dysfunction in there. But yeah, you know what? I can live with that. And I, my question's for you, if that's you, and I think it's probably most of us, is this. <laughs> is that it? Is that your vision for your life? Like to just get to a point where you can handle the dysfunction and the the messiness of what's going on and just not push into that anymore and not grow anymore? Like, is that what we're going for? Like, if I got up here in church this morning, right, and I said, guys, I've got this plan and it's just going to be so awesome, right? Jesus has come. He has come so that we might cope. (laughs) Now, the word, two words, Sorry, the word gospel means good news, right? Now, if I stood up this morning and I said to you, Jesus has come, project people, on the 17th of March, 2019, I've got such good news for you. He has come that we might cope. Would anyone be disappointed? Yes. Right. Would anyone be disappointed? Yeah, right. Because there's a much, much, much bigger vision of what restored humanity looks like than just coping. Man, imagine that. (laughs) I mean, go and walk around a cemetery, you know. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people in a cemetery that have just got the thing on on their tombstone saying he coped. (laughs) You know, He, he coped. It's like, it's not a good epitaph, right, at the end of it all. It's like, oh, Peter... Yeah, he was a good coper. That's who he was. All right? He was a really, he was a cracking coper. 
is this what we're after? Like just manageable pain, you know? I just, I just want to be able to have a life where a Panadol will get me through and not have to have a morphine uh, kind of drip to get me through. You know, if I can just get to the Panadol stage, I'll just be happy, I'll be able to settle in and I can just kind of cope with that. Is that what we're doing? I, uh, I watched the... Uh, it's, it's a cult movie, right? Um, from years ago. Is anyone here remember The Princess Bride? Yeah. And it's like so corny now, right? But I watched it with my kids because that's what you do, right? I'm a dad, you watch corny stuff and you say corny stuff, right? So we watched it, right? And it's got that scene in there where the, uh, the, main, the main fella's dead. Is that, everyone know what I'm talking about? And they, they cart him off. They take in the Miracle Max, the, the, um, the miracle working guy. And he lays there on this table and Miracle Max pulls his, lifts his hand up and then just drops it and it drops like a stone. And his statement after that is, does anyone know that? I've seen worse. <laughs> and uh, then he makes the comment, he goes, he's not dead, he's just mostly dead. It's like, are you, is that you? Are you like just happy with kind of mostly dead, you know? It's like there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on inside of you, but you can just kind of manage it. All right, how do we grow? How do we grow? Let's get back here. Let's get back to the context of where we are now. Here's, here's the context of where we are now, folks. John 1, 9 to 13. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Now, one of the ways that we could look at this when we're thinking about how do you grow up is to think about, well, how do children grow up? Because you're God's child. And I think the, the metaphor of family is a really helpful metaphor to understand God's relationship to us. It's not the only one in the Scriptures. All right? There's lots of other ones in the Scriptures, but I think it's one of the most uh, prominent, if not, I would argue, the most prominent metaphor in the Scriptures um, is the notion of family and that we're kids and, uh, and God's the Father of us. So, you know where this takes us to? If we're kids in a family, how do kids in a family grow up? Now, here's, the, here's the, uh, the two areas of growth that I mentioned earlier that we need, to, uh, we need to grow in as children of God. And it's not only us growing as children of God, this is something that we would need to do parents with our own children. You notice on the left there is growth in redeemed likeness. Remember, growth in redeemed likeness has to do with sin and the corruption that sin has brought about on us. And growth in created likeness on the other side is, uh, has got to do with the way that God's made us to be. So it's important not to confuse growth in created likeness with fallenness, all right? And now you might be able to say, like, what is the deal with always growing and always maturing? Aren't, aren't we perfect? Well, in Luke 2.52 it says there, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. He grew up and he was perfect. And I think we actually see that the signs that Adam and Eve are meant to grow up as well before sin actually comes into the world. So let's just revisit for a moment. How does a family work? All right, now I'm, I'm not going into the birds and the bees here, aren't right? Parents, that's, that's your job. But parents create people. That's what they do, right? They create some kids. And then these kids come into the world and the parents are responsible for growing these kids. Kids can't do anything. They can't feed themselves. They can't walk. Um, they can't change their own nappy. They can't do anything, pretty much. They're born. They don't know anything. They can't survive on their own. They need to be nurtured and grown. And what do parents do? Well, they teach them. That's what they do. They hang out with them lots. They shape them and they teach them through things that they say, through things that they don't say. They have relationship with their children. One of the things that parents actually do is they, they actually give their kids a pair of glasses through which to view the world. A pair of interpretive 
glasses. They teach their children how to see themselves, how to see the parents, how to see other people around them, how to see life, what matters. They tell their kids stories to make sense of the things that the kids are actually seeing. And who knows, this is not without its hiccups. Who knows that your kids actually can learn stuff from you that you don't really want to teach them? Who knows that? In education, it's called the hidden curriculum. All right? That's what it's called. You teach them stuff without um, knowing you're teaching them things. You know, it may be that kids follow your failures as much as they follow your successes and your standards. You know, one, one uh, educational psychologist who was pretty significant in just establishing the fact that kids are interpreters of their world was this guy called uh, Piaget. He said, he basically said kids are interpreters and, one, and they're, they're always interpreting the world around them, which is kind of like they're telling themselves a story to understand what's happening around them. And so parents' job, a parent's job is to do this to help their kids to have a framework to understand the world around them and to provide the glasses through which they see the world. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 1 with me. just want to read Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. If you haven't got a Bible, feel free to, to duck up the back there and grab one. So one of the ways that parents actually grow kids is by giving them a good framework to uh, interpret the world around them. And surprise, surprise, what we actually see here is we actually see God doing this very thing in Genesis chapter 1. Starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them and God blessed them and God, what's the next word there? Said. What's he up to? Well he's talking. That's what he's doing. He's talking, right? He started, it's, it's like he's just made people and what is, he, what is he doing? He's talking to these people and what does he say to these people? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding uh, seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed uh, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so... And God saw that everything, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What's God doing? God's shaping His people by talking to them. The way that God actually designed life to work is that you're actually meant to interpret your world through the glasses that God gives you. And parents are meant to teach their children to interpret their world through the glasses that God gives, through God's revelation. You see, you can see it here, like the first thing that God does after Adam and Eve get created is He talks to them. And in talking to them, He tells them who they are, He tells them what they're supposed to be doing. There's, there's a lot of richness just in what He said there about, about who they are and what they're supposed to be doing and who He is. Back across to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a, uh, a really super regular um, section from Deuteronomy 6 that's quoted to do with parenting. Starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, listen to this, teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's, what's God telling uh, parents to do here? I think he's telling parents to do what he does. 
he speaks in Genesis chapter 1 to Adam and Eve and he frames their life and he frames their identity for them and what they're supposed to be doing. And he says to parents in Deuteronomy through Moses, you guys go out and walk with your kids all the time and you continue to provide my revelation as the framework through which you're meant to understand the kids are meant to understand who they are and what God's called them to be and even just to understand the world. The parents are meant to imitate God. God's revelation is the way that you're meant to live life, not your own. You're meant to see through his glasses. And you know what his glasses are? About 90 nine percent of the time it's the scriptures it's the bible that's what it is so let me ask you a probing question do you read it did did you read it this week how much did you read it this week if god's word is meant to be like a predominant way that kids are meant to grow up and you're his child you're meant to see through the glasses of his word. How much did you read it this week? Now, this, this isn't a beat-up about some kind of discipline. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. If this is the way that God's made you and I to operate, that we're meant to see the world and operate through the lenses of God's word, did you get into it? <laughs> did, you, did you even just have times where you just went, I just need a verse? So you just picked up, your Bible and just read like three verses out of a psalm or two verses or even one it's like I just I need to check in again I need to make sure that the way that I'm seeing life is the way is coming from God's perspective and some of you might go yeah I'm not a reader can I just say yeah well you don't have any excuse right because you can buy audio Bibles and put them on your phone right can't you I mean there's times I have just I've dead said I'll be honest with you I've OD'd on reading and I don't, I don't love reading, okay? But I'm, I'm close to the end of my doctoral work and it's whatever part of my energy is like my reading energy, it's just pretty well gone. And the thought, people, this is what happens when you're a pastor, right? And it's okay, if, if you want to give me a book, you can give me a book, right? But one of the things that people do to pastors is they give pastors books and say, this is a really good book, you should read it. <laughs> and then you get this pile of books and they're really good books, so I'm not having a go, right? But they're just you get this pile of books that people are saying, you really need to read that. And it's like, right at the moment, like people around me have said, uh, you should read this book. This is a really good book. And I have a look at it. I go, yeah, that looks like a really good book. But my brain is just kind of snapped when it comes to actually reading more stuff right now. So do you know what I've just done? I've just subscribed to Audible. Yeah. And I feel like a liar when I say I've read a book. But I, and I kind of have. And kind of someone read it to me. And I listened to it. You can do it, Right. There's so much technology out there that we can harness that you can't just say, I'm not a reader anymore. And I would say to you that if you find the Bible hard to understand, I'm in that club with you because I find the Bible hard to understand and when you find the Bible hard to understand, what do you do? Do you give up and you stop reading it or or do you just work harder and get close to someone who knows a bit more than you so that you can work out what it means? Wouldn't you do that? You know, it's, uh, I think John Piper, I remember reading something of his a while ago. He said, if you rake, um, you get leaves. If you dig, you might get gold <laughs> with regard to the scriptures. And I reckon it's pretty right. So I'm not here to guilt trip you into it. I'm just going, this, the, the scriptures are just, they're, they're, the, they're the living and active word of God that the Holy Spirit uses as a weapon in your life to bring about really, really good things, to nourish you, to bless you to help you to be connected to him. He's going to talk to you through him. You get to speak back to him when he talks to you and it's going to be great. Anyone give me an amen? Amen. It's going to be great. So get into it. And if you have to listen to it, I don't know. I don't know whether it makes you feel better or worse, but you can say, oh, I'm a bit like Peter. All right? That might make it worse. You get what I'm saying? But just however you got to get it, just get it. All right. I'm going to do one more bit and then we're uh, I'm going to pull up. I want to just have a quick look 
uh, going back to those two ways that children need to grow and look at how, how are parents uh, tasked with growing their kids in terms of the created likeness. Yeah, their kids are like God. Their, kid, their kids reflect God, reflect his characteristics. How do they actually do that? Because if we can see that, then we'll actually probably get a bit of a roadmap about how God might actually be uh, developing those things in us and how being his child might actually do that. Now, here's, here's a parent's job. A parent's job is to look at their children and to see how God's made them. True? You look at them, you just go, I can see the skills, I can see the giftings, I can see the talents of my kid, I can see what their passions are, I can see how they reflect the character of God. And here's a good question that not many people uh, throw out anymore, um, is with regard to the calling that God might have on on the child's life, what need is there in the world that God has made this child uh, to contribute to? That's a good question, isn't it? It's not like, what's the shortest university course I can do that gets me the biggest first year out salary? <laughs> that's not it, right? I mean, that's probably a consideration, but that's about 24th on the list, probably. Somewhere down there. It's like, what does the world need and how has God created my son or my daughter with specific gills, gifts, sorry, skills, gills. Seriously, if they've got gills, you need to go to a doctor. Um, skills, giftings, personality, passions. What is it that this world needs that God has created something in my child to actually go out and contribute to? That's a good question, right? Because you know what? Everything that you see in your kids... The giftings, the skills, the passions, setting aside the sin and the muck, right? Because we're all sinners. That's, that's reflective of who God is. Can you open uh, your Bibles or turn in your Bibles to Exodus 31? Exodus 31. So Exodus 31 is actually the instructions about how to build the tabernacle. Right. Exodus 31, the Lord, so if you don't know what the tabernacle was, the tabernacle was a tent where, uh, that God designed where people could go and meet with him under some significant controls, but it was a, uh, a tent where God could actually dwell with his people, with sinners, and everything not go haywire uh, as a result of that. So Exodus 31 is about... Um, the construction of this and the design of it. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have listened to this, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, sorry, I have commanded your tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for for Aaron the the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This guy, going back to the start there, this uh, Bezalel, has got some serious talent, right? He has got serious talent, he's got serious skill, He's got amazing ability to work with his own hands. He is excellent at what he does. And do you know where he got it from? He got it from God. God made him excellent for a purpose. You know, you you go back into the Old Testament and it's really clear that every form of skill, strength and excellence is directly and bluntly credited to God. He gave it. 
And God gives from what he is. He is excellent in everything. I mean, I'd, I used to play the drums in a former life, right? And, um, you know, I used to spend time thinking about how slick Jesus must be on the drums. <laughs> right? Like if all, if, if all drumming talent and ability is given by God and he gives out of his fullness and he is excellent and talented, imagine what kind of sick rhythm he could actually get up to on the drums. You with me? Like he could, right? What, I don't know. What do you do? What's your thing? You know, maybe you're a writer. Imagine, I mean, he writes some amazing stuff, but imagine like the stuff like coming straight from his hand. Like that would be amazing, wouldn't it? What do you do? Imagine building a house. Maybe you're a tradie. He gave you the gift to be a tradie. Imagine how sick a tradie he is. Sorry, I shouldn't. Should I not use that kind of language? Is, that, is everyone okay? Some of the older people here are going, is that, is that bad? Is it bad to be sick? Yeah, I guess so, sometimes. Why does all of that kind of skill and wisdom come from God? Because God is the source of every skill and every bit of wisdom that exists in everything. Everything. No exclusions. So what do parents actually need to do? They need to look for what God has given to their kids and work out how am I going to grow that? How does God want to actually grow that in my child? What of God's wisdom and his character exists in my child that in their skills and talents that I just need to foster and I need to grow? Now here's, here's the kicker, right? There are some things that we can teach our children, parents. There is, I mean, despite what teenagers will often protest right? Their parents don't know anything and they know more than their parents, right? There are some things, parents, that you actually know better and you have more wisdom and more skill in than your children. And sometimes there can be a relationship between you and your children uh, where you can teach those things to them. Because we actually know, like this is kind of self-evident, right? The way that you actually get better at a talent and a skill is you mostly, 99.9% of the time, what do you do? You hang out with someone who's got more talent and skill than you do and you get them to teach it. And parents can actually do that to their kids. And, but sometimes they can't. Sometimes a parent can actually be good at something or, and they've got capacity constraints or uh, it's just the relationship between them and the child is, is probably not conducive to them being able to pass that stuff on to the kids. But what do you do? What does a parent do when that stuff doesn't work? They go, okay, well, I'm going to find someone else and they're going to come in and they're going to teach my child how to do something even that I might know. <laughs> you with me? Like you just find people. It's like, how do I get my kid to be next to someone and with someone who's excellent at what they do so that they can actually grow and get better at their skill? And then I'm not even talking about the stuff that we're not good at, right? The things that we just, we, we just can't pull together. But that's what you do, right? You, you, you get them and you get them alongside someone who can actually teach them that. So you, you partner with schools, right? You partner with schools, you, you partner with music teachers, sporting coaches, whoever you need to partner with. You, kinda, you get them beside someone who's strong and who's skilled at something and you learn. Now, when they learn, what are they learning? They're learning new practices, they're learning new thoughts, they're learning new ways of doing things. If you want to grow in created likeness, you need to be close to someone who can take you there. Someone who's a few steps ahead of you. This can even happen in marriage, right? Because um, you don't, you tend to not, is there anyone married here and just, you just go, yeah, you tend, I married someone who's very different to me. Is anyone willing to admit that? Like, like really, really different? <laughs> no one's going to put their hands up. So we're going to have a fight when we get home. That's what's going to happen. Uh, you heard the saying, opposites attract. Oh, you probably heard the other one, opposites attack. That's a, that can be a thing too. But um, what, what's one of the things that is actually going to happen um, with someone who's married? 
and with someone else. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen is most of the time marry someone who's very different to them, which by default actually means that you sign up to be with someone for the rest of your life who's weak probably where you're strong and is strong where you're weak. And it becomes this sweet opportunity for you to grow in created likeness. Because, you know, now, <laughs> the problem is, right, let, let's just, you know, while we're at this AA meeting, let's just be open with each other, is we think that we're normal, <laughs> right? That's one of the big problems with uh, getting married, is it's just like, okay, well, I'm normal, you're not, that's why this relationship's not working very well. And if you were more like me, it would run a whole lot better. But the truth is, there's a whole bunch of ways that you act, uh, a whole bunch of things that you do, a whole bunch of skills that you have that are just weak and they're not that good and your, uh, your marriage partner, your spouse, has actually got some strengths in those areas. So the test is going to be, am I actually prepared to be humble and to actually learn and to grow up and mature by hanging out with this person for the rest of my life? Come on, you meant to say, yes! <laughs> this is the best. It's so good being different. <laughs> Come on, it's so good being different. <laughs> now next week I'm going to talk about growing in uh, redeemed likeness, but there's a, uh, there's a bit here that I just want you to, I want you to get today, is if you want to grow even in created likeness, you know what you have to do is you have to get alongside someone who's ahead of you. You've got to connect and walk alongside someone relationally who can actually teach you that stuff and you can learn. Now, some of you go, probably inside some of you, I have the music team actually come up now, uh, would be good. You could, you could say at this point, right, oh, I know some people who are really talented <laughs> and they don't talk to anyone, they don't have much to do with anyone. I reckon you could just put them in a paddock and never have anyone have anything to do with them and they'd be able to learn some stuff. All right? And the thing that I would say to you, yeah, but is that person learning a craft or something the way that God would have them to learn a craft? Are they? Are they, are they growing up? Is there a maturity to it? Because it's a weird thing. Like, if you actually say someone could go off and sit in the middle of a paddock and learn some kind of created skill, it might be true, but are they learning it and growing in it and maturing in it the way that God would have them to learn, grow and mature in it? And I would suggest to you not. I mean, one of the things I think that you see with, uh, with people, with humanity, is when they're off on their own, it just gets a little bit weird. They just don't grow in a normal kind of way. I remember talking to a friend of mine, uh, over an extended period of time, he had just cut himself off from connecting with people. And that's his choice. He can, he can do that if he wants to do that. But, do you know, I, um, when I met up with him, like a couple of years later... It's not a close friend, obviously. Um, and I wasn't the one that scarred him, all right? He wasn't scarred. He just made a decision to kind of move in that direction. I remember having a conversation with him like a couple of years later and I, I couldn't believe the things that he was saying. And it wasn't because they were evil um, or they were, they were bad. I was kind of like, man, like it's really obvious to me that you just haven't hung around with people much in the last couple of years because the things that you're saying are just a bit silly. Like if he was actually amongst it and he was with people and he was being sharpened by people and being grown by people, he just wouldn't have said a bunch of the things that he said. I think we get weird when we go off on our own because you were never meant to go off on your own. You were never meant to grow up on your own. It was never, ever meant to be like that. God was meant to be like right in alongside you and you're meant to be in alongside other people. And that's the way that it's meant to work. Are you, uh, are you isolated? Where, where is the evidence in your life that you're pushing into growing and maturing? And I, I actually don't really... With, with great respect to the older people here this morning, I don't actually really care how old you are. Like, where's, 
where's the where's the evidence that it's like yeah I'm not there yet and and I'm not feeling oppressed because of that I'm not being self-critical and all down on myself it's like no I'm not there yet and I just want to keep growing I believe that Jesus has more for me <laughs> I believe Jesus is still growing me and uh, and the lie that I that I reach 50 or 60 or 65 and I'm supposed to have made it and I don't change anymore is just that it's a lie that's what it is and so the question is like how how do I get alongside someone who can help me grow <laughs> how do I get alongside them who's someone that I need to get alongside and help them grow and help them mature we're gonna we're gonna have communion and um There's a, uh, there's a great quote by, uh, uh, there's a great section in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity where he makes the comment, he says, if you, if you want to get warm, you've got to stand near, near the fire. If you want to get wet, you've got to get near water. And he makes this comment, he says, if you, if, if you want life, what you've actually got to do is get really close to the thing that has it or even climb inside it. Now, John chapter 1 tells us, in him, in Jesus, was life. You think about pulsating, way better than coping life. <laughs> That's Jesus. That's him. So how do you, honestly, this morning, like my encouragement to you is like, here's, here's what you could be thinking. This is, what, this is the way Peter puts it. How can I get a bit of that? <laughs> I want a piece of that. That's what I want. Well, you know what? The only way to get a piece of that is to either get like so crazy close to life or climb into it itself. Now, the Lord's Supper is called communion, right? What's communion? Well, communion's about union. That's what it is. It's about you climbing into Jesus, kind of like you're gonna, if you're going to take it in a moment, you eat some bread and you, and you take some juice, and that juice kind of filters into the cells of your body in the most intimate way. That's, that's communion's about union with Jesus. It's about saying, I want you to just energize me. I want you to be the life that, that busts out of me on the inside. I want you to energize me. I want you to grow me. See, man, <laughs> you get close to Jesus, and, uh, and it's like, it'll be like watching a movie where the car just goes from zero to light speed in three seconds and it disappears in a cloud, a cloud of smoke. That, that's what happens. Like you, you just get joined to Jesus and, and get really close to him, climb into, into the life that he has for you. Man, we won't see you for dust when it comes to you growing up. Amen? There is no one who's more skilled than him. There is no one who's wiser, so you've got to get close to him.